Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How you doing? Oh, I'm in a great mood. Great mood, you say? Yeah. Why, why is that? Uh, well, I had a good day. Okay. But my day has only gotten better. Okay. Because we have a guest today. We, d- we do have a guest. It's been a few weeks it has. without a guest. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure the listeners are, are, are panting. Champing at the bit. <laughs> Although, oddly enough, you'd know this if you ever went to our forum. I don't. Uh, they see, I know you don't. Uh, that's why I said it. But the, the, the rule seems to be they actually like uh, you and me alone. More than, don't say that in front of the guest. Well, this is going to turn it around. Don't okay. get me wrong. Okay. But uh, th- we haven't had this yet. Do you think the people, who, the people who comment on the forum actually represent the whole of our listening audience or I have no just choice. the ones who are really into you and me I have no choice but to uh, but to believe that you know do we have if, groupies on the forum uh, I don't no I don't think that's, so that's a core I think you know you resonate your your whole listening audience you've got and then you've got maybe 5% that will engage and do right. feedback and leave comments and stalk you and stuff and then and about 5% of them will actually donate to the show the, oh that's good <laughs> the donating is good <laughs> Do you uh, have rich parents? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, the cat's out of the bag, ladies and gentlemen. This That is the voice of our guest for the week, Mr. Keith Coogan. How's <sighs> it going? Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Very good to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. So let's just get to it, David. Well, this was um, quite a, a coincidence because I'm not sure how, Tyler, how you found uh, Keith and asked him to be on the show. I think Facebook, Facebook suggested that I be friends with him. And I was like, wait, is that Keith Coogan? The, like the, the guy from those movies? And... Uh, I know what movies, but I'll say them in a minute. Right. Um, and so I said, You must okay. be friends with him. Yeah, so I guess I'll be friends with it. Click. And, uh, and then, uh, like so many of our guests, I just uh, said, Hey, do you want to do this? And he was kind enough to say yes. Yeah, and when you told me, um, Hey, Keith Coogan wants to do the show, it was literally like two days after I, uh, my girlfriend and I had gone to the Downtown Independent, which is an awesome movie theater that's uh, uh, actually located in downtown Los Angeles. That's why mm-hmm. they called it that. Uh, for a double feature of Troop Beverly Hills and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Which I believe you t- discussed uh, last episode or the episode before. I don't a couple recall. episodes ago, yeah. yeah. Um, and Keith was there in person with the writers of Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was just a weird coincidence that it had happened. I, I had just seen you, Keith, and, talk And it was about more than just a screening. It was a yeah, we should along... Uh, it's called the Don't, uh, it was called the Troop Beverly Hills Experience and the Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead Experience. Uh, and it was so it's a, it's a screening, but then this woman had added uh, um, this woman who's a big fan of both films had added sort of captions at the bottom for uh, audience participation and countdowns so, like, of the quotes coming up three two right. one I'm right on top of that rose or yeah, it's right. cookie time yeah or and so that was target yourself Metallica breath yeah um, <laughs> and then, like and, and really funny stuff like um, the uh, oh, this oh when the mom called exactly, the second exactly time they go the, when the mom called the first time they go this is the first time the mom was called from Australia. And then, you know, a couple scenes later or whatever, they go, this is the second and last time the mom calls <laughs> <Yeah>. from Australia. <laughs> then we like go another hour left. of the movie. Yeah. And not only do we forget about the mom, but then they did went through great pains that you do forget about the babysitter. At the yeah, end. it is It is a great joke at the end when the mom says, where's the babysitter? And I want to say, like, I mean, I'm a film snob. Uh, and maybe, uh, you know, I, I wasn't a huge fan of Troop Beverly Hills. I went to that one more for my girlfriend. Mm. But... Uh, Despite some dated early '90s type fashion and stuff, like "Don't Try the Babysitter's Dead" holds up. Like I really enjoyed watching. I hadn't cool. seen it in maybe ten it years. Was fun. It, it, the crowd really loved it and and seemed to really have fun and laugh along with it. Yeah, it is a really fun sort of teen uh, sort of uh, empowerment fantasy movie. You know about the you know what would you do if you 
as a as a seventeen year old uh, mm-hmm. were given the run of the house and all the money that you wanted to spend. Yeah, and immediately, of course, everyone breaks into doing what they want to do, uh-huh. and mm-hmm. they see in just a few days that ain't going to work out. It's like Lord of the Flies. Oh, it, it is. If that that. That story ends with everybody uh, accepting responsibility at the end, right? And everyone just becoming a very adult. <laughs> oh, I don't yeah, know, I absolutely, re- everybody. I haven't read it in a while. <laughs> Melissa's nice and is like, you know, passing out hors d'oeuvres. And, uh, you know, Walter's being a good kid now that he broke his leg. And, you know, Zach is, is behaving and showing up because uh, he's gotten over the one girl. He's got a new girl, probably, he's going out with. And, uh, you know, Kenny's got the cooking thing, which I, I love that transition. Which, I loved Which. Uh, Leads to my favorite part, possibly my favorite part of the movie, <laughs> which sadly is com- almost completely visual and I can't really do it. But when uh, um, uh, what's her, when Sue Ellen's friend Nicole uh-huh. sees you after having not seen you all summer and like your hair's cut, a little lip bite, and she's like mm. Kenny, and you're like yeah, and she does this like nod of approval and bite and lip bite, and it's it's a very funny moment. They did. They set up a little thing with the nurse. I'd even forgotten about. Nicole uh-huh. and but someone at the screening was like hey how about Nicole or something before the show and I was like oh that's right I forgot even because they do it in just a few shots yeah that yeah that that Kenny when was the last time you saw it don't tell the babies that or if you I'm gonna say when it was a new release on video okay. uh so it's been a while since I've seen it I'm yeah. sorry it's I been a while my wife and I were going to rent it today uh kind of for a refresher but uh I just I ran out of time unfortunately um boo sorry <laughs> It's it's got a lot of funny stuff, um, and and of course uh, Josh Charles, who has now mm-hmm. gone on to uh, be in all kinds of stuff, and is including now, your favorite show of all time, uh, Sports Night. Yeah, it's not my favorite, but I'm overstating. Yeah, uh, but he's on The Good Wife now, so yeah, it's mm-hmm. a that's a. Movie. Now, did you like other Aaron Sorkin projects? Uh, the, the West Wing is West Wing. Did you like uh, Sunset Strip? Not really. No, you didn't like that. I couldn't stick with it. I just saw. Uh, I mean, it's it's tough um, if you're not in the industry. T- people t- typically are like, "Oh, it's another movie about people making movies." Right. right? Mm-hmm. But if you stick out, uh, I just saw what just happened with Robert De Niro, and he's actually playing Art Linson, okay. getting off of finishing up Heat, post production of Heat, uh-huh. and going into shooting The Edge, mm-hmm. and. Bruce Willis is actually Alec Baldwin for reals from The Edge. And so the situations in that were very autobiographic. That's funny. And, and it's Barry Levinson picture, so it's mm-hmm. got a pretty good uh, – it's, it's very well made. Mm-hmm. Another one is Living in Oblivion is perhaps a, the greatest oh, yeah. art film, independent, trying to shoot something in a warehouse. And, yeah. you know, the director just going nuts. I think that that yeah, movie that's, just that's a, that really distills works. being on a small crew. Yeah, occasionally there are movies that are about the industry that seem a little too, like uh – I don't even know what the word is. Masturbatory, maybe. Oh, like, okay. Uh, yeah. Sure. Like the last shot, I didn't think worked all that well. Speaking of Alec Baldwin, even though there was some funny stuff in that. Uh, I heard State that Maine was 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 great mm-hmm. in that it focused on trying to yeah. handle a, a star that's just loves to touch every young girl in town. Right. <laughs> but yeah, Living in Oblivion is definitely one of the best of those. Which I never saw. That's uh, oh, Steve Buscemi, good. correct? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, what were we gonna say? Oh, that's right. Uh, I was going to get us back well, on. Topic. It also has uh, it's Peter Dinklage plays the dwarf in the dream sequence, and he has this like great tirade, even maybe a little bit of a monologue to uh, foreshadow the, the topic here. Watch out! But uh, where he says like, "Why am I always appearing in dream sequences? Who dreams about dwarves? I don't even dream about dwarves." <laughs> 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 wow, I didn't 
So he must have been pretty young. That like... was my introduction to Peter Dinklage, mm-hmm. yeah. I believe. Yeah. And then um, the station agent. I, I love station agent. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that the supporting guy in that, who's the Italian, the I've seen him in a lot of things too. Yeah. He was on that game. show Third Watch. I um, think. He's phenomenal in that, and mm-hmm. he brings because he has to really. Uh, uh, Peter Dinklage is pretty silent in that. He's pretty shut yeah. down yeah. at that time in the movie. He just wants to crawl into the station and be mm-hmm. left alone mm-hmm. by humanity. There's a lot of movies that are like this, really. Right. And people yeah. got to wake them up. Russell Crowe's in like half of them. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he's so fantastic uh, at driving the story and bringing a lot of life to and fun to the picture. Yeah, it's just it was, really a three-person show. If it was just yeah. Peter Dinklage and Patricia Clarkson, they're both doing great work, of course, but like... It's going to be crazy. Kind of, I can't think of the dude's name. Bobby Cannavale. That's it. Yeah. Look she came with also more like of a concrete issue. I've seen yeah. her do. She's great and a great dramatic actress. Yeah. But for some reason, I tend to see her do, pull off great stuff, but with pretty light material. Hmm. This was something she, I, I felt, was so mysterious. And I wanted mm-hmm. to know what her mystery was. And yeah. Good, good picture. And that was a good year for her because that was the same year as Pieces of April, which is not a good movie. But she's... But oh. not a great movie, but she's great in it. Yeah, that was, she was nominated for that. Well, now Piece that of I April really pushed the digital limit. We weren't yeah. used to seeing that. And mm-hmm. um, it did, I think, kind of set the rule of being in the room and a fly on the wall. And mm-hmm. and they don't acknowledge the cameras, but mm-hmm. the audience does. After a while, you forget about it. Yeah. You're yeah. just kind of wrapped up in but it. I saw Black Swan shot in much the same way it. as Pieces of April. Right. It's shot on digital. It's shot handheld. Walking around with natural light, following these mm-hmm. people in the story. Mm-hmm. How, what he chooses with art direction and costumes mm-hmm. and dialogue and ideas to show through editing—that's the beauty of right. Black Swan—is how he cut this movie. Um, and uh, I started reading super nine levels above Black Swan, uh-huh. and I'm watching interviews, and I was like, oh, "It's not that." complicated it's actually quite simple uh but i was like oh she's not real the mom's not real this i don't want to spoil it for anybody but i was like completely doing personality disorders and i think the movie might have been just a pretty straightforward psychological thriller okay so the mom's not real is what you're saying well i'll keep that knowing that for sure well i was thinking she was on a writer or Mila Kunis, but never herself. She's always the woman losing the job or the woman about to get the job. Okay. But the woman in the middle of that is a cipher, is someone who doesn't, because she can't handle the pressure of being the one who replaced somebody and the one who might be replaced. Does she exist? Is she really there? Because it might have been Winona Ryder is just being replaced by Mila Kunis. And our hero is really just in the chorus. Now, I know there's you just tons said of a lot. clues throughout the movie. <laughs> Costume clues. There's okay. one direction. There's one line. A, a guy comes up to her and goes, you're in the wrong spot. You're supposed to be upstage. She was about to enter as her part. A girl in the regular chorus is just another swan in the ballet. And I don't think she ever okay. was given the lead. Well, uh, the and... spoil it. No, no, no. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's about a ballet star and a thing. So I can't spoil it. If you know anything about movies, right. there's certain structures. that. Here's... So anyway, I love Black Swan. Here's the one thing that I'm clinging to. Uh, in the idea of that of, of what you just said not being a spoiler you just said a bunch of stuff I have, I, I'm no closer to knowing anything in fact I think I might know less about the film having <laughs> you having said all of that because it was so it's just like I, I didn't even know what Winona Ryder was in it like that's, that's how much yeah, you've confused me she did me. 10 days on the picture and she's <laughs> just this wreck of uh, has been being pushed out by a younger performer and she's so on note. 
and she's herself too. You go. That's mm. the one I remember from Reality Bites. Oh, with oh, yeah. A huge alcohol problem. Well, let's. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about movies more in a bit, but we want to get to know Keith Coogan a little bit. Yeah. yeah uh, where doing? are you from? How did you get into Capricorn. into acting? Born in California. <laughs> uh, born in Palm Springs, actually. Ah. Uh, and my grandparents had retired there. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather was in the movies and had um, yeah. been at, yeah. uh, the the world's first child film star, mm-hmm. and it was with uh, with Charlie Chaplin and the kid. Yeah, so my great grandfather was in vaudeville and would bring the kid out on stage, and Chaplin saw him and signed him up, and uh, uh, did a little short with him first to see if he's okay on a set, and then did did took a year and a day to shoot the kid, six reels mm-hmm. of joy, mm-hmm. and perhaps a tear, and that's that was a huge. I mean, that was I think Chaplin's first feature. That was his first like full length feature, and he also combined comedy and. Right. tragedy together and, and it you know really worked no, i don't think anybody else had the skill to do that and uh my grandfather was catapulted into worldwide stardom it was uh post-world war one they were looking the world was looking for an orphan to adopt and mm. so jackie coogan or shirley temple became symbols of these orphans of war mm-hmm. that everyone wanted to take care of and um and a great distraction and very entertaining that performance in the kid is is really heartbreaking like i I, I like Chaplin. I think I prefer, uh, like, I prefer, I'm one of those pretentious guys that prefers Keaton more, but, um, but, like, his use of, of, like, you know, pathos and, and sadness to really drive the, the story forward. And, I mean, I'm sure everybody, they may not even know what it's from, but everybody is familiar with that image of the kid, like, crying and, like, just reaching out desperately for, for, uh, Chaplin. And it's really, it, yeah. It's a really powerful moment. That, he rocked that moment in the yeah. score and in the mm-hmm. you know the story and in you know apparently they did it a couple times and he just wasn't bringing it mm-hmm. and Chaplin was concerned and so my grand my great grandfather pulled my grandfather inside and was like I will send you to a boy's house. <laughs> um, you you will not do B movie in movies anymore. And, and this is and not uh, Jackie Cooper is the one about the dog, the story that his father mm. told him he would kill his dog. Right. Oh, okay. Jackie Cooper cried for the champ or something. I, I, I can't believe that. I think Jackie Cooper is very talented. Probably didn't need that either. And I wanted to believe that my grandfather maybe didn't need, but you know, I heard he was a brat and would hide from the crew and, yeah. and would like, you know, you know, it didn't realize the millions of dollars involved. I mean, it was right. just fun for him. It was a game. You know, it's funny. You said about Buster Keaton, huge influence influence on my family was mm-hmm. Keaton and Arbuckle mm-hmm. um, in that my great-grandfather started doing shorts with them. Oh, and the Hayseed is one that my great-grandfather's in. Mm-hmm. And he was an eccentric dancer at the time in the vaudeville troupe. Not exotic dancer, but eccentric. Right. He was a very mm-hmm. tall bean- beanpole guy that would do these weird, wobbly, crazy kind of dances. And he it was great physical comedy, and he worked looked great next to Fatty Arbuckle, this uh-huh. yeah, skinny yeah. beanpole guy. And he always played kind of the heavy or like the, the mm, give me your rent today. He was always yeah, the yeah. evil <laughs> Mr. You know, uh, What's uh, wrong with landlords? Why are they always so demonized? They are, and especially in L.A., I think <laughs> owning land the rent. in Los Angeles for income. Like, so yeah. if you're a landlord in Los <laughs> Angeles, it drives you insane <laughs> i have a wonderful landlord who lives just out of la and i think right. that he does he just i don't see him it's fantastic it's the greatest relationship. he's like you're the best tenant you're the best landlord we <laughs> never ever see each other but you know i've been in situations where the landlord's close by or lives in another you know unit on a property or something and that can be really awful our landlord in uh, chicago once almost killed our cat 
because he seemed much like Lenny from Mice and Men. He did not know his own strength. Kitty, I would do pet the kitty. Tell me about the kitties again. He was, he was petting our cat in a way that, like, it looked like her head just like got smushed. <laughs> I, unfortunately, I'm like that with cats. Oh, okay. All right. They just they don't want to be controlled, and so I must hold them down to be petted. You will like this. I will keep that in mind. But yeah, our An landlord in Chicago boy. was a really nice guy, by the way, a really nice guy. But Very he nice was guy. kind of like the dude's landlord in Big Lebowski, <laughs> where I could where I could be like. Uh, Peter, I'm gonna I'm gonna get it to you on on the like the 16th, 17th. Is yeah. that you're like oh no problem, yeah. no problem. I'm sorry for asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just please like me, please. Yeah, I just want to be your friend. Um, but uh, now and and it's it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned uh, you know your grandfather being a, a child actor, and I was, uh, you know, I, I I apologize if this sounds insulting. I mean, I'm really only familiar with a few f- of your films. Um, Great, <laughs> and I mean you've been acting, but you'd been acting for a long time uh, before I ever became familiar with you know Adventures in Babysitting and 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 all that. Um, so I mean, at what age did you start acting? I was five. Five. I I was started as a stand-in on a McDonald's commercial. It was my <laughs> first job, and uh, Denny Harris, who directed all the McDonald's commercials in the seventies and I think into the eighties, mm-hmm. um, wanted to use me. He, he he's great. I was I was just you know. Coming up to the counter and like, oh, I want yeah. the hamburger or whatever. And he's like, well, this kid's great. We'll use him instead. And the mother of the other child was like, <laughs> no, you cast my kid and you're putting him in. And so Denny was like, I'm hanging there. I'm going to use you. And between being cast in a series of McDonald's commercials by mm-hmm. Denny, which was a great kick, because when you got a McDonald's commercials on your resume, they're like, great. And I did Charmin and Ford and Texaco and all mm-hmm. of these huge, huge brands. I did 100 national commercials. Wow. Um, and that was a great experience for hitting a mark and learning about yeah, lights yeah. and this and the camera and what they see and they don't see and what works and doesn't work. And um, and then TV, episodic TV started to trickle in. Mm-hmm. Chips being one of the first things I ever did. I didn't even think I had a speaking role. No. But I got tur- it got turned into one while I was on. It was the one where they left the baby on, on the picnic they, in a, a child seat. And they drove off. And the family drove off. And we left the baby on a picnic thing. And so I had these scenes of, like, waiting in line in the bathroom or something. And just, <laughs> be, you know. And I saw them, like, improvising and stuff and having a lot of fun. And so they cast me a few like, four episodes of Chips. Wound up. You know, for, through different producers, I wound up working for Aaron Spelling, mm-hmm. um, Bill Blinn, and Jerry Thorpe were big producers then too. And I did um, a series with Klug Uliger called McKenzie's A Paradise Cove for ABC, just six episodes and a, mm-hmm. and a pilot. We spent a couple months in Hawaii. And so I started to get in the TV world and go up for big shows and, and started to get, you know, episodic like Knight Rider and Mork and Mindy, Love Boat, Fantasy Island, Eight is Enough. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it, really a great. Uh, primer for uh, mm. for for working. You talk about doing. You, you did four different episodes of chi- of, chi- of chips. Yeah. Were you always kid waiting in line for the bathroom no. in all four episodes? Because <laughs> this know, is the thing. Like no. they used to do the ca- cast, just recast sure, people. Sure. Which like. I feel like episodic TV doesn't do that anymore. If they bring back an actor, it's because they bring back a character. I got lucky, but I love the idea that they're trying to write in kids standing in line. For well, the, the next the next one I got lucky. There was the one with the motorcycles, and they're running through the LA rivers in the motorcycles. I know so. very little. About and I was uh, I had a little mini bike, and my mom never let me ride anything uh-huh. dangerous because I made rent. You know, she's like, "You're going to get hurt." <laughs> so I go with the helmet, and I'm riding around a little mini bike. I'm like, "See if they write into the script." I get to do it. Ha ha ha. So um, then, and that was so that was a different character. 
than the first one. And then uh, the third one was a totally different character again. It was the Brat Patrol. They had a mini chips. Five <laughs> kids, all different ethnicities, <laughs> come in, and, and it was just this horrible attempt to pander at family audiences. Uh-huh. And we did two of those. The last one we did was the last episode of Chips. So the return of the Brat Patrol, the last episode of Chips, so you... and directed by John Aston, which was oh, wow. another weird So you connection. killed that series, it sounds Oh, I killed it. I did the last <laughs> episode of Mork and Mindy as well. Yeah. Boom! Right down into the tank. <laughs> You're like William H. Macy in The Cooler. They just, they, 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 <laughs> totally. They Married to the Kellys? Canceled. Joan of Arcadia? Out of here. <laughs> um, so what would you say is it... Uh, I mean, you, you know, you're in a lot of things that... Uh, kind of got you uh, noticed, but what would you say was the big thing uh, that made you, uh, not necessarily a household name, but people like, oh, who's this guy? I really got to, I've got to put him in more things. Well, The Waltons was a huge break. Okay. Uh, in like 79, I was cast for the eighth season of The Waltons. Okay. Regular cast member. I did 26 mm-hmm. episodes or something. Oh, nice. I think I was in like 20 of them. And um, that was a big that was a big deal. It was mm-hmm. a regular weekly paycheck. It, and back in like 1979, to be making like $2,400 a week or some, something, whatever the minimum was that they throw a bone to uh-huh. series regulars on hours. That sounds TV. great now to me. No, it sounds great to me too. <laughs> so, uh, hey, uh, it was a great paycheck for a nine-year-old. And that we moved into a nice house uh, mm-hmm. after that. And that, that was it was that series that helped. Mm-hmm. And then after that, uh, quite a bit of work um, – you know, all of those uh, guesting on yeah. shows. And I'd gone up for pilots yeah. and features and The Shining and hmm. E.T. and Interesting. Goonies and Gremlins and everything. I feel like you candles. would have been a good mi- I'd mix met, with I'd Goonies. Gone up, you really, you go up for everything. Yeah. Christmas Story, Stand mm-hmm. By Me. Um, I don't remember Stand By Me, but I'm, I, God, I hope I went up for Stand By Me. <laughs> uh, and it, it was... Um, Frustrating to not book the movie. I want ever mm-hmm. since I was about eight. I I think I'd have tuned on that. I want to be in movies. I want mm-hmm. I want to be in pictures. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I, you know, I come close, or I'd be almost, or the second one. You know, uh, two of us would go down, and I wouldn't quite get it. And mm-hmm. um, finally, it took same struggle, fighting off other kids through the screen test of Adventures in Babysitting. Yeah. And uh, Chris Columbus, absolutely got on my side and pushed me mm-hmm. to the studios and Disney was like not really interested and he insisted this was the one. So mm. I really have to thank Chris Columbus for Adventures, which was a huge break and I just didn't stop doing features. I did I think twelve studio features mm-hmm. in four or five years. So that was the film that got you into uh studio into movies features. in general. Yeah, that so. and then right after that was Hiding Out with John yeah. Cryer. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Um uh, I did a little uh, surf picture, which, uh, which nobody really knows about, Under the Boardwalk, which is really Romeo and Juliet at the beach with val- valleys and locals. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of a narrator through that, but I, I, I go in through the story, and it's very, very uh, funny, a caricature picture of 80s surf Are, are you like, you're like the Mercutio, or? No, I'm, well, I actually, I come in, I'm her um, cousin. So I'm Juliet's cousin that comes right. in. Really, I'm this kid that was like had joined the Navy uh-huh. and okay. was just cruising through town. And so she wants to show me the town. So you see it through my eyes. Oh, and okay. I don't know the language. The the Lokes like talk this language. He uh-huh. was like this, and I was going to stab him. And like oh, I totally groked out. I'm like, what are they talking about? <laughs> so there's a great scene where she's translating for me of what they're saying. Um, stoked. What does that mean? Um, Shakespearean and, dialogue yeah. actually more complicated than the dialogue they used in the film. <laughs> and who played uh, uh, who's the brother uh, uh, to Juliet? Um, 
Mercutio, Benvolio. Uh, uh, well, isn't Tib- Tib- Tybalt? So Tybalt. Tybalt. the guy the that played or? Tybalt is okay. amazing, and he was this huge method actor. Um, uh-huh. and, and I think his name was like Skaggers. I forget what his name was. <laughs> um, and uh, he sketch. Uh, he was method I, through one scene. He was like working out and pumping, 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 uh-huh. pumping, and he's really on edge. And I was like, "What's the deal?" And he's like, "I haven't gone to the bathroom today." Yeah. I'm like, what? He goes, "Yeah, I've really got to pee, and this is going to help me be really angry for the scene." So you got to watch this just for the method, like <laughs> brother. And he's really he just shoves, and he's a really bully, he's an animal. Uh, he reminds he, me of the guy in Magnificent Seven. That's the young yeah. brat. That's meth- totally. St- Totally Stella Adler. I mean, he is <laughs> feeling. How are you doing today, Johnny? <laughs> Why do you ask me? <laughs> it, was tra- it was a transitional time I'm for like, acting. My God, are they? Re- he's really, but but he became. I love that character. He became a favorite of mine, and he really redeemed himself when he went into the other. He's like, I can pass. I can pass as one of them, and he goes over as a bandit, and he redeems himself. You know, everybody uh-huh. dies, but. I love they just showed a <laughs> clip of Magnificent Seven within another sh- TV show. I forgot what I was watching. I think it was um, a Modern Family. And I was like, oh, oh Magnificent Seven. What Spoilers great, for Magnificent Sam- Seven. They, they all die. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Spoilers for Modern Family, it sounds like this. Is, they watch, <laughs> exactly. They watch, watch out. They're going to watch Seven Samurai. <laughs> um, but uh, now one question that I have, and I... Uh, oh, wow. We'll be, 25 minutes. We've been going for a while, so we should probably... Well, we uh, talked about the Black transition. Swan for like 15 minutes. Right? Fair yeah, enough. Totally Fair my enough. fault. I got um, <laughs> no, no. It was 15 minutes worth of talk crammed into about three. It's fine. Um, but uh, my question for you is, you know, f- many people who acted as children and teenagers, I mean, they, do, they, they, they almost invariably talk about the difficult transition into being seen as an adult actor and you know did you have that experience whether it be from going from a kid actor to a teenage teenager or a teenager to adult i mean More is teenager that a, to adult because okay. teenager i didn't really start i have to thank john hughes and because mm-hmm. my, my grandfather stopped working at 13 mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. his voice is changing talkies came out and he did uh, the first uh, talkie version of tom sawyer and that was mm-hmm. his first talkie he was about 13 and it was like oh gosh the kid is not you know this cute little adorable child anymore he's growing up mm-hmm. audiences weren't into that at the time john hughes made the transition the awkward hormonal transition teenagers hugely successful to yeah. the movie studios they're like oh we've got a whole market mm-hmm. and they used to throw like beach turn b movie stuff teenage werewolf and stuff like that and throw mm-hmm. that at the kids mm-hmm. now they're like wait a second we could completely you know and really put money into this and and also try to write above so the parents enjoy it too mm-hmm. um so the because i i think his films could be enjoyed by any generation really i mean I, maybe i'm totally lost but um like breakfast club Mm-hmm. Who would not recognize themselves in one of those, you know, yeah. archetypes? Yeah. Uh, anybody who went to school. And I think of myself as a princess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally Ali Sheedy. So, yeah, the basket case. Yeah, no, I was pretty much the nerd. I was the geek, and right. yeah, know. that's yeah, that was yeah. me. And with a little bit of the the Emilio Estevez because of the pressure and the, you know, mm. the parents, oh, and you have to do that. this yeah. thing, and you have to get yeah. these certain grades. You have to get good grades, or mm-hmm. you don't aren't allowed to act in California. You don't get a work permit. Oh, right. You have to get a C huh. average or above, or they do not issue you a work permit. Oh, boy. So kids in the industry all have to, you know, at least read. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't. I, I had no idea of that. Yeah. That uh, sounds remarkably uh, frustrating, because I was not a good student. Well, but, now, uh, listen, I, I could and would ask you questions about Don't Tell on the Babysitter's Dead for an hour, but no. you came here with 
uh, we, came, we came to talk about a topic. Yeah. So, so here's the... D- oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yes? So let's get into it, shall we? Okay. Um, Boom. Sorry, that's his, uh, that's his line, and I, I, I almost always step well, let's on get it. into it now. Okay. <laughs> um, so you're, you're currently going through a project uh, online. You've been doing it for 170 days, roughly. Yep. Um, it's the Monologue a Day project. Uh, is there is is that the official name of it? I've watched. I okay. love it. Thank All you right. for <laughs> calling it the Monologue a Day project. That's and so, it. it's uh, and well, as one would, let, yeah, can you tell us about it? I'm I'm amp- I'm <laughs> ramping up to it. As one would assume, this involves you doing a monologue a day. Yeah. And I was wondering, how did you? What inspired you to do it? How has the response been? And how do you go about selecting the monologues? And then that will transition us into the topic. Keith, take us away. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Julie and Julia was definitely a huge inspiration in doing something every day that you love to do, whether it's Mm. cooking or writing a blog about cooking or Mm. whatever you like to make model airplanes. I don't know what it is. And I, for me, uh, it is performing. I love to act and I love, Mm -hmm. I love the feedback uh, of acting. And that's Mm -hmm. when I'm going to be, you know, I'm a total whore for the laugh. And I think that's why I love comedy is it's very easy to know when you got them. No. <laughs> you hear right. it. It's it's you can and it's a timing thing. You know when to expect that response. Uh, drama is you know it's really you crawl in and they really got to crawl in and there's a time thing and you know there's it it resonates differently. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tougher to know when you really got them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. but that it's really immediate response with comedy. So um, I said well, let's do and monologues have always been tough for me. The traditional theater monologues that every actor must have in their back pocket. I've got mm. my classical Shakespearean monologue and my modern heroin addict in the alley funny monologue. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, they've never heard this one. And they're like, oh, Stephen Robbie again. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> there's Rabe. I don't know how to pronounce that. I see R-A-A-B-E. I don't know how to say it. Rabe is how I say it. Rabe yes. is how That's good. So I, uh, that to me looked like a great challenge to, I know there's tons of monologues out there. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I thought, uh, uh, completely naively that there would be a breadth of material for me mm-hmm. 40 days into it. A bo- two books with over 300 monologues for my sex and age group. Mm-hmm. And after f- really, sh- after day 40, I was like, I pretty much run out of the ones I want to or can do out of this book you know some of them are way obviously not my ethnicity like how do i do fish head soup when he's talking about being asian in america Mm -hmm. um i'd accidentally done some african-american ones just because i thought the guys in prison or speaks jive a little bit or or you know something (laughs) i didn't know it had to be black and then i this author is like done all black plays and is very (laughs) celebrated i'm like well hope he's not too upset about that um i've gotten response from writers chuck Mm -hmm. poignac nice job wow I was like, oh, I was like, Chuck Bloody, I just did a nice job. Um, others, uh, 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 playwrights, uh, uh, their uh, publicists, not their publicists, their um, uh, uh, press, the, oh, the, yeah. the, the, the houses that actually oh, do right. it. Yeah, uh, their print works or whatever. Uh, I got in line with one, a publishing house that was like, oh, you know, I represent all these writers. You've done a couple of them, these monologues. Uh-huh. Let's talk. I'm like, do you want me to pull them down? I can pull them down right now. I can just take them down and take them down. No, 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 no. Let's talk about getting links to my site. And I'm like, so uh, Original Works Publishing, OriginalWorksOnline.com is – it got all these great new original plays by new young playwrights that would never get published anywhere else, and they're printed to order, so mm-hmm. costs uh-huh. are low. And he does all these sales and stuff, so I'm kind of pimping him too because he's been a really big help in yeah. giving me – here's five. He'd give me a week's worth of monologues, and yeah. I'd run with them. Um, my manager points me to Colin's movie monologue page. 
hmm. which I don't know if you've ever seen, but huh. absolutely breaks down and will take something that even is not quite monologue and will remove the mm-hmm. and put some interstitials and make it a monologue. And you're yeah. like, that's kind of neat to see that, you know, M spelled out for you. There's the monologue. Yeah. You know, and that was I did that, too. I did the Peter Laurie monologue. And it's on my list. Here. It's um, one of my favorites. So that, you know, in, immediately in doing a week into it, I saw how challenging, how fun the um, how much I'm learning about myself as an actor. Because yeah. uh-huh. you, I mean, you're memorizing these things. I mean, you're memorizing a monologue a day. Yeah. How and long I do try you try to keep them short? A minute or two. Okay. At the tops. All right. And yeah, it takes a couple hours to memorize them. If there's something from something you really know, like Dark Knight, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you know, even Hamlet, everyone knows. You know, a few of the. I just did. Um, the last poor Yorick. I knew him. Yeah. Ratio, man of infinite jest, most yeah. excellent fancy. I did that uh, yesterday, and I realized I'd known it all along. I, yeah. I, I, when I started, I was like, I know these rhythms. I've heard these lines before, and so yeah. uh, some of them, you, especially Jaws and stuff, you're like, right. and then there's another challenge. Mm-hmm. I can't. Talk like Robert Shaw. You're <laughs> yeah. not going to ever so. You got to do yourself. You got to, yeah. as an actor, you go, How do I, how would I do this? How would I approach the character? I've been cast in the role, rolling. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of fun of it. And some of you go, Ah, it's ridiculous. And some of you go, All right, yeah, maybe. A couple of guys were like, We liked The Dark Knight. We liked when you were Alfred. It was interesting uh-huh. to think of a younger Alfred, yeah. maybe trains with him or, you know, uh-huh. is, is like a brother instead of a father figure. Yeah. So so you're not quite so locked into the the age thing. You like to to branch out and see how this character could look and sound if he was younger or older or whatever. Sure, like as good as it gets. It doesn't matter how old the Jack Nicholson right. character is uh-huh. in that for right. his passionate mistrust of outsiders and the unknown. Yeah. Um, his anger has nothing, I don't think, to do with his age so much as yeah. his history um, and his you know, experiences or what, however he's been let down or pained in his life. Mm-hmm. I had so much fun with that one and I got my agent goes, I did not know you could be that wicked and evil uh-huh. and like you were you fucking scared me and he's like you should go up for more you know bad guy wrestling. I'm like that's great thanks Good. let's do that and that's kind of cool okay, well, so what is the website for this it's a monologue a day dot blogspot dot com okay or just in the old the google you can type mm-hmm. in right. monologue a day project mm-hmm. uh, or Keith Coogan monologue uh, you might on about the seventh one it's all my links right. and I got all these different <laughs> blogs and things that go into it but one of them is the v- vagina monologues so right. <laughs> I gotta pull one of those and do one just to you throw should, it in yeah. there yeah if you if you uh, I discovered this if you type in Keith Coogan on uh, YouTube You'll see all of them, and it will really just clog that page right up. But it's fine. Um, but uh, you can jump so, how many have you done at this point? One hundred and sixty-nine. I'm shooting for three sixty-five. Awesome. Wow. <laughs> um, so you jump so in. There's a playlist. You, you can jump in anywhere. Uh, you know what? I was at the Young Storytellers Foundation oh, right, earlier today. I have not done one yet today. Okay. So you got to go. You got to. It go may home. be a reading the, uh, to cheat. I will do one with a black lens, and I'll do a voiceover, a narration, the end of uh, the beginning of adaptation, uh. the end of raising Arizona, the oh, yeah. things where it's just voiceover and you don't need a visual. Uh, nice. Or I'll read the Raven, or I'll read a sonnet from Shakespeare. Well, now you've, you've named some more movies than I can can count in the last few minutes, so let's get into it and yeah. let, let's talk about uh, some of our favorite monologues and movies, or just the idea of monologues and movies. Because what what I wanted to start off on is. Um, do you know the names of monologue, dialogue, tr- what's the tr- three one? 
tr- there's an actual word for three people in a scene. Oh, and it what goes about back to the Greeks. Men? It goes back to the Greeks and the chorus. That's a do- do- decalogue. <laughs> yeah, and also pathos itself. I th- I used to think pathos meant sadness. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't. Pathos means the orchestrated attack on the audience's emotions mm-hmm. to try to manipulate them. Mm-hmm. It's like playing a harp. So right. pathos could be for happiness or sad. I didn't know that. I used to think like you know comedy and tragedy. I think I used to think pathos just meant sadness, yeah. but it means to try to like manipulate them. Right. And mm-hmm. that could be. Um, and the monologue is interesting because it you could fall into a trap of it being a tell. He's telling a story. They're telling it to the audience. But if you mm-hmm. don't live through it, it's totally boring. And mm-hmm. one of the earlier traps too that I, I I fell into, and and sometimes you can't help it, is being too one note. Uh, being yeah. the same as you are at the beginning, a monologue is the distillation of the entire picture, the entire character struggle, beginning, middle, and end. It's got to have a beginning circumstances, uh, a, a, you know, a f- affecting um, um, uh, incident, uh, a, a change, a reaction, a confrontation, and a hmm. resolution. And those all come in that one-page speech. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh so gosh. we do remember I, I remember ones like Mr. Smith goes to Washington uh-huh. and some that are obviously monologues some that are kind of slippery or like castaway I mean to huh. to realize that like eight reels of that movie is a monologue that's interesting yeah the whole yeah. any time once he hits the island until he gets picked up is monologue mm-hmm. and we call it oh all that dialogue's monologue why do we even call it dialogue right yeah. it's monologue really and so the, um and then other great speeches like Quint's speech and jaws mm-hmm. um, yeah. that's just so uh, both of i did both speeches the one at the chalkboard where he says i'll catch your fish right. yeah and the other one where he tells a story about just about half of the indianapolis speech i didn't do the top half i just did the tail end of the indianapolis speech um and so those and, and like M is another one uh, mm-hmm. where it's in the middle. You're catching them in the moment of them questioning their situation, questioning their position, questioning others, um, uh, making that confrontation, that that kind of conflict, which is in my drama class. We learn man versus God, man versus himself, man versus nature, man versus the unknown, man versus the beast, the animals, mm-hmm. uh, man versus man. Um, there was I think that's keep seven that in mind for archetypes. <laughs> um so, uh, do you? Because the ones you named were were uh, j- just now were all things that uh, I honestly hadn't thought about going into this, in, you know, and getting ready for this episode. Uh, the ones I were was thinking about are uh, movies or TV shows that are uh, stylized in a way that it makes sense that a character would just talk for a page. You know, mm-hmm. I think of like like we talked we were talking about Aaron Sorkin before we you know uh, earlier. Uh, David Milch with Deadwood, obviously Shakespeare, you know, or something like uh, Peyton Reed's uh, Down With Love has a a, yeah. a monologue that, you know, Renee Zellweger does this monologue at the end where part of the joke is that she's talking and talking and talking. Do you do you try to do uh, the ones that are more naturalistic, like the ones you just named, or do you even draw the distinction between the stylized monologues and the, and the Oh, natural? no, I will do heavily stylized. I right. will also take a spin on an, an old one and, and make it a comedy in the middle of it. Uh, uh, but I guess, uh, is there a difference in your approach, I guess, is, um, what, is what I'm saying? Yeah, every day. Every day, it's, uh, you know, I'll choose the piece based on how I feel that day. Right. Hmm. So I can be as genuine as I can be. Yeah. And I'll, I'll notice it. There's already, you know, I, um, ones I'll put up and I'll go, okay. You know, I learned, I saw that. Stop acting there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, take your time on that beat a little bit more or yeah. close that gap and just say it. That was one of the greatest directions I got in a class. Uh, I was doing the scene. We did it. And he said, great, great. Okay, let's just do this one part. Dude, I did it. And he's like, just just say it. Don't. 
act. Don't do it. And mm-hmm. I was doing just way too much on the line. Yeah. And um, I really learned to let that go. And, and um, sometimes the moment can come before or after the line. You don't know. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting. As I was making my list, I, I, I found like a bunch of different like subcategories. Mm. And, and I found one thing that I found interesting because what, whatever – realizing what category this particular monologue falls into – is instrumental in how you're going to play it. There's a big difference between Robert Shaw and Jaws, who's telling a story that was that somebody asked of him, mm-hmm. and Mr. Smith, mm-hmm. from Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, who's delivering a speech. Sure. But then, of course, his speech is not totally pre-planned, as opposed to a character who's delivering a speech that is written out for There's him. There's the greed speech in uh, Wall Street. He's oh, talking yeah. to a room of people. Yeah. Um, I think ba- at the end of um, It's Wonderful Life, he's talking to the room full of people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the relationship to the viewer. Mm-hmm. And when doing monologues, and one of the first ones I did, I got a note from a casting director, big-time casting director, who's like, don't look in the camera, look off, just off camera. Okay. I did another one, and I was really looking off camera. I did almost a profile. Yeah. It's like, no, bring it in to just off camera. <laughs> and so I've been doing that right off camera. And that could be the person in the scene. That could be... <sighs> That it sometimes it's not. Sometimes you're absolutely not talking to the person in the scene. You're looking mm-hmm. away, or you're trying not to look at them, and then finally you have a truth that you bring up to them. Yeah. Um, other times there are three, four people. Specifically, there could be just a few people in the room that you're talking to. When I when it's a sun scene, I'll put the camera low and I'll look down into the camera. <laughs> um, and and that, you know I've kept it really simple because it is hard to do them every day. And it's, I I, I love going outside. Sometimes I'll do one in the alley, or I'll go out uh-huh. to the street. Um, it's just producing them is tough. Putting production value into them is is tough. So it's against yeah. the wall. There's no props. There's no real costumes. Um, it's just learning the speech. And that was another yeah. thing too. Is you know on one of the one of the ten commandments of auditioning. And and these really are auditions too, because yeah. they're, they're a running thing and they're a running tool. I could take my three favorite dramas and throw them in a casting director, or, or yeah. you know a part that's comedy that I'm like, dude, I've got a, the used car speech, Rudy's speech from used cars. I've got this speech from them. I'm gonna throw this at him because it's a salesman guy or a radio yeah. announcer or something. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, were you going? And it's. And it's interesting because, uh, as you mentioned, people seem to be hearing of it, even with – and, I, you know, maybe your agent is is putting it out there like, hey, he's doing this. Why don't you check it out? But, like, you know, uh, I never know how to say his last name. Chuck P- Palaniak? Palaniak? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we all have a different <laughs> way of saying it, but, know, like, he just kind of found it. Well, you know? you know, I think people in this industry, they do do vanity searches, and, you know, it could be to protect <laughs> your own name and your own image and your yeah, own yeah. brand. Um, you certainly don't want copyright theft, and I don't mean right. to intend that. These are very short snippets of a very large work. They're, each of their pieces is a very small part of a very large project. It mm-hmm. falls under the fair use guidelines to the T, to the letter, to the, you know, as, as far as experimentation, I'm not making money on it, et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. And it will go, you know, not really go away. I hope that it stays, you know, that account will be closed. After 365 posts and monologues are done, that one blog will be locked. That'll be mm-hmm. it. And the project will, you know, maybe get comments and stuff. and That would be great. But mm-hmm. uh, that blog was set up just for that. And I wonder... Um because I do want to start listing some things off here uh, is an indirect way of recommending some of these to you for, for you to do. <laughs> yeah. But, no, I love um, recommendations. But I, I – uh, and I, I will frame it in the, in the context of, uh, of the project. When you decided to do it, I have to assume you had four in mind – at least four in mind immediately. No. And it's – no? No, I didn't. Just really. I went that day – 
I got the idea in the bath. So, uh, <laughs> John Lennon. Uh, I, got, I was sitting in the bath and I got the idea and I'm like, oh, this, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll pump this, you know, I'll work at it every day. Um, so I ran to Samuel French and I got oh. picked up um, okay. t- 222 two minute monologues for men and okay. uh-huh. uh, age 30 to 40. And, uh, and, I, and I, you know, picked out the book. First half of it is all classical. You check off your Moliere, your Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And then and and sonnets and stuff. I'm like worthless. I'm like I I. But I came. I went back to those. I went back to those. Yeah. Because as you go through your cherry pick, your favorite. Oh, this is a great. Oh, I wanted to do this one. This I know this play. Mm. You know, oh, some cherry orchard or some of this. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. So I, and then I went to the modern stuff, and I really I do I know Sam Shepard's work, and uh. So I pulled some of the Sam Shepard stuff mm. immediately. Mm-hmm. Um. I really responded to one of those writers that I was talking about that was from um. The original online uh, original works publishing right. mm-hmm. um, did a thing called Anger Box by Jeff Good. Jeff Good has a lot of great material out there, and this was a racist in a small town that was upset about a murder, and he's blaming it on the guy that owns the Seven Eleven. Hmm. Uh. And it this was written pre nine eleven or po- just post. I think it was written like just post, but before we invaded mm-hmm. uh, Iraq and stuff like that. So it was a really and so it's really fresh material. It was funny. I found. The it was funny. I found this speech in this other compilation, mm-hmm. but then contacted by a publisher who's like, "Well, I actually handle this." Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't get out of your book. And he's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. "Well, no, let's talk." Because I want more. <laughs> you know, we we worked on getting more material out there. That was really cool. So no, I didn't have monologues in mind. Okay. Um, I thought, what a snap. Uh, uh, and I thought through sheer volume. There's got to be enough out there yeah. that I can pick and choose, and I'll learn along the way. I'm not going to be perfect and great right off the bat, but I did choose a quite challenging one. That I cried. My first one is a guy that's talking about being in prison, and mm-hmm. I'm wearing this like knit cap, and I'm like, and I, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about how they treat him like an animal, and it's mm-hmm. just there's no way that you could get better from this kind of thing. And the guy no. basically breaks down, no. and I felt it was important to show right off the bat mm-hmm. that I could go there, that I could do no. that. I have to show these casting directors that I've that know me for no. years and years and years, and the new ones that don't, um, you know what what I can do. Mm-hmm. And because when I when I when it came time for me to like make my list, I of course I I had to sit and think for several minutes. But there was really like there were two that jumped in immediately into my head. One was of course Robert Shaw's Indianapolis speech in Jaws, which I think is I love I love Jaws. I I'm, I'm not sure if I would say it's the best monologue of all time, but it might it certainly is one of my favorites. Because of the way he plays it, because he doesn't play it as woe is me, he doesn't play it as he certainly doesn't play it as comedy. No, he but shows his cards when he's been called on them. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's betting poker. I got this scar. I got this. Right. Betty May uh-huh. she broke my heart. Yeah. He's like, you want to? S-? They they go, what about that one? Yeah. And he goes, you want to know about this scar? Yeah. And they go, yeah, we want to know yeah. about that scar. But the, he tells them, and and there's no. He's not trying to one up them. He's not trying to say he's better right. than them because he went through that. He's trying to say I'm damaged because I went through this. And it's right. but he and, does, and, and he's he doesn't have a, a balls ass bastard to be out here hunting for this <laughs> shark right now. And I think it gives you an understanding of why he wants to find this oh, shark of so bad. I never really thought about it that way. But they're also in the belly of the beast at this time. They're in the boat. Mm. It cocooned. Uh, they're drinking. They're having fun, and the yeah. shark eats the light right after the scene. The shark eats it because he ate the light. Yeah. It's all part of being in the belly of the beast and at the darkness, the lowest. Mm-hmm. You know, they lose their engines and all this other yeah. stuff. They're being attacked by the beast. Great. I mean, it is. Um, 
you know, I'm sure those elements in the book, in, in Peter Benchley's book, were all there. And I'm sure they saw them. And that's why it was such a blockbuster book. That's why it yeah. top, you know, New York Times bestseller list. But to make it into a movie, that takes, you know, someone who understands the rhythms of making film sure. and, and, yeah. and, and telling a story in the audience. And so Spielberg got those down like, galleries and this, you know, doing TV. Yeah. Um, Took a huge risk in uh, uh, his first feature mm-hmm. uh, with Goldie Hawn and um, what's the name of that one? The... Uh, I don't know. Sugarland Express. Sugar Express. Thank you. Oh, so there. huge, yes. huge, huge risks in uh, many ways because just of of the time by mm-hmm. going counterculture and the hero is the guy that's taking cops hostage. Yeah. But you're having fun and look who's playing it, John mm-hmm. Atherton. Who's uh-huh. so funny and diehard, and we all love to hate right. him and everything. Yeah. Uh, what are, uh, you enjoy watching David punch Atherton. in the face, William William, William Atherton. Sorry, William. Yeah. Um, he's so great in that. What a you know star turn. And, yeah, and 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 humor, and what great humor in that too. And it's, I've I, I've read the book Jaws, and it's a it's a fine book. I used to be really into Peter Benchley, but the movie is better. Uh, which is one of those you never get to say it, but the movie's much better. <laughs> and it's fascinating because the character of Quint. In the book, he's he's fascinating and, cer- and he's certainly uh, enigmatic. But he, I feel like the character in the book is shockingly one note. Whereas in the in the film, he seems one note, but he really, I think he I think Robert Shaw really instead of just being a, a bully and obnoxious and abrasive. Yeah, which yes, he was that, but he was that with a twinkle in his eye, going, "I'm getting to you, aren't I?" Yeah. And so the, even the when she when um she when they're saying goodbye and it's her last scene, it's Ellen Brody's mm-hmm. last scene. <laughs> She's like, wear your sunscreen, do the thing, and eat when you got to eat and do the thing. She's like, is he always like this? Um, <laughs> you know, he's quite colorful. Uh, that he, I, he's doing that on purpose, yeah. you know, and he'd be, and, but you see all of that in the performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that he, uh, I forget what the limp was for Sting or for Jaws, but he certainly limps in Jaws a little bit too. Uh-huh. I yeah. think it was a permanent injury he sustained just before he shot the Sting. And mm. they incorporated it into. Yeah, he definitely has a very pronounced Lonigan. limp. And, yeah, yeah, they incorporated it into Lonnie. They said, We're shooting this with you right now, and you're limping. And I think he limped forever yeah. after that. I'm not sure. Um, and it's. I don't know. And I, I, I love that monologue because you could have played it any number of ways, all of them obvious. And he goes, Not, not very obvious. You know, rather than play, rather than play it like, as you mentioned, just angry. Because in many ways it is, I'm revealing mo- my motivation. Rather than playing it as obvious as that, he chooses to play it like he's wounded, but also in a very matter-of-fact way. Like, this is a fact of my past, and that's you, the end of it. You know, he he just tells it as a good story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the revealing, yeah. while he's telling that story, yeah. the, he's painting a picture. He's painting a picture. You don't know how many men until he says it. Yeah. You don't know the situation. How were they formed until he says it? Yeah. What are the attacks like? He kind of at first he says, oh, and then through the night, you know, the, but then he gets specific. Yeah. And the guy rolling over. And, and, and then, of course, and she, uh, a lot of people love the doll's eyes, the black eyes, like a yeah. doll's eyes. That's, that's the genius yeah. of the speech. Uh-huh. That's the gem of the speech. Yeah. And, you know, it's... there are five or six writers on the speech. Oh, yeah. Now, Tyler, you talk about uh, playing it, you know, in an unexpected way, I wanted to bring up the opposite of that, uh, an instance, uh, and maybe you guys can think of some more, of just, there's one way to play this, so I'm going to turn into the skid and just <laughs> just like go, go whole hog, and that's uh, Alec Baldwin's 
classic speech in Glengarry Glen Ross. Oh yeah, which is like he's—I mean—he's clearly written as a smug it's testosterone on the page. And he, he plays it even smugger and even more badass <laughs> than it is on the page. And that and I that, love Jack Lemmon. I love um, Alan Arkin. They seem uh-huh. so hurt and wounded, and it's because. <laughs> They don't sell, and they know it. Mm-hmm. Because whenever you don't get the part, or whenever you didn't get the raise, or whenever you do, mm-hmm. and if you're mad at anybody but yourself, it's misdirected. And just the way that he, and the way they just, he causes them in that monologue to just shrink. Uh-huh. And these are, you know, the characters aren't, aren't incredibly confident, but they, they know what they've done in the past. They, they used to be good or whatever. And the just machine. the way... What was that? The machine. Yeah. Shelley the Machine Levine. But but and the, and they're both older than all Alec yeah. Baldwin as well. But he just is li- we mentioned Jaws. He's like a shark. I mean, he just he just patrol he just comes in, pretty much owns that room. And and yeah, you're right. What are you going to do? Play that friendly? Play are you going to underplay that role? No. Uh-huh. He's there to try to I guess, quote-unquote, motivate these characters. <laughs> but also, it's like, hey, while I'm motivating them, can I also uh, toot my own horn and talk about how awesome I am? I can. Okay, great. Why would I n- want to do anything else? Yeah, I love that monologue. How about Kevin Spacey in that movie? Uh-huh. He's, he's an interesting... His performance is great, but like just this character who takes... You don't really know how much of a... He's not a bastard, but he's just such a worm... Uh, by the end of that, show. sure, he's yeah. absolutely a worm. Yeah, I and think he he knows that this group that he oversees is uh, on its last legs, and so his he's going to align himself with the yeah. ev- more the more evil powers because they're the ones that are going to last. Yeah, yeah, all of it is really tied together because Al Pacino's character proves mm. that it's not about the lead; it's not about how many leads you have. Yeah, it's about you got one in front of you. Yeah, pay attention, sell them. Do, you know, and 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 how to sell? You're not this, selling yeah. land. You're selling an idea. You're selling right. a lifestyle. You're selling a choice and independence yeah. for uh, Jonathan uh, Price, yeah. who's so amazing when he comes to ask for his money back. Yeah, that is also that is one of the most heartbreaking scenes. Yeah, it's like, I I need the money back. Yeah, I don't that have is the great. power. Yeah, and like it's gone. It's downtown. Yeah. But but is it downtown or is the check coming? Is it? Yeah, they yeah. mess up the story a little bit. Uh-huh. So priceless. It's such a great, well-crafted. Now, so they're all tied together because he he's says, come in and just sell it. Do it like he does. It's funny. Al Pacino's not there for the meeting. Yeah, he doesn't right. have to be because he's on top. Yeah. Um, he uh, he's you know he cruises in because he does. He When he's present and he's in front of somebody, he can sell. Yeah. He also finds people that aren't even leads. Yeah. Finds the guy sitting next to him in the bar and sells yeah. them. That's... And his his monologues are pretty great too because what we don't realize is that what there's something whoa there's all kinds of noises all going kinds on. of distractions um, but what we don't realize is because he's being very like silky smooth and very uh, very manipulative and you think he's just drunk and rambling to a stranger in a bar and you're not really sure what it is and only by the end of what is essentially the first act of the film only only then do you realize. He's been selling like this is all one long pitch. Like that's the brilliance of Pacino in that in that performance is that he's just being very, you know, he's getting in close with this guy, making him think like they're buddies. Mm-hmm. And only at the end does he, you know, he's he's talking about these grand ideas and hope and all these things. And only at the end does he say, "Look at this piece of land. Isn't that interesting?" Yeah. And it's just such a. And you watch it, and it's like 
damn, I'd buy from him. You know, I'd, <laughs> I'd buy that. I don't have any money, but I'd buy land. The idea of great um, CEOs like Steve Jobs or uh, Bill mm-hmm. Gates, uh, people that run studios and Spielberg and such, they, mm-hmm. they, there's probably a huge distinction between work and life for them. Yeah. They're kind of always working, and they're, they've decided to make work kind of their life. Mm-hmm. And But they're all, they, you know, they probably see a lot of people a day, and they have a lot of short powerful conversations with a lot of people all day mm-hmm. and you know it's very hard to get something made and mm-hmm. get something done and you have to birth it through sheer will and blood mm-hmm. sweat and tears and to motivate other people to, to get to do it is is also tough too and so when alec baldwin comes in and the posture of everybody's great because they've left their life they come into their work yeah they change into this other thing at work and that's this job and I don't like my lead and I gotta go and I gotta sell this guy and it's right whereas Al Pacino's like I'm sitting here eating my food drink my drink I want to and do you ask yourself you were lulled and you thought that was his life that was his lifestyle that's how he lives does Mm -hmm. he does he really believe that maybe he does because he is the animal that wins he is the predator Mm -hmm. and he smells the blood all the time Um, and so uh, Kevin Spacey is the guy his scenes are always He's kind of the the guy behind the curtain, but he's not powerful, but he might be. But yeah. he's got the leads, but you only see him after work, after hours. So he's, his attitude is like, you guys are such schmucks that I have to be here. I should have been home three hours ago. And yeah. here I am taking this box of leads downtown because you guys, you know, can't, I'm going to uh-huh. tell Shelly downtown. Um, s- great characterizations throughout. No. Um, now there's a, the second – so along with Jaws, the second – monologue that i absolutely love is a film is from a film that we we mentioned we 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 really enjoy it but we mentioned it a lot uh the life and death of colonel blimp um have you seen it it's uh it's paul the, pressburger 1946 yeah. uh, i don't remember the year unfortunately paul but Pressburger from uh, uh red Stairway to heaven and, and, yeah, yeah the yeah. same guys who yeah. made great Shoes great to, yeah yeah, yeah. crazy crazy the, uh story to heaven is the american release name it was Released in England as uh, a matter of life and death. That's right. Yes, yes. Which is which is uh, what I know it as. Um, oh, but look at you. Uh, what was that? Look at you. It's just because I took that class. Anyway, <laughs> um, but in that class on being a snob. Ex- <laughs> Film snob. I was in that class too. Yes, I know you were. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, so go anyway, on to the life and death of Colonel Blimp. Yeah, but and I'm sure you you know the monologue I'm going to talk mm-hmm. about. There's a, a an actor named Anton Walbrook in it, and he plays a character who. Uh, is German and uh, fought in the First World War, and now the Second World War has come along, and he does not like the way Germany has gone. And so he's trying to uh, come into uh, England and live there because he hates what Germany has become. And so, But, of course, they think, well, he could be a spy. Who knows what's going on? And so they're interviewing him, and he is giving his reasons for wanting to leave. And he talks about the death of his wife. He talks about how his sons are now, you know, quote unquote, good little, you know, good little Nazis and and all that. And it's uh, and the whole and first off, it's shot in this really wonderful way where, you know, it's a nice zoom in uh, or it might be a zoom out. I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. But either way, it's very it's like one shot and it's very slow and, and measured. And the character is he has like tears in his eyes, but he's not crying. He's. He has a message he needs to get across, and he's going to say it. And it's clear he probably hasn't told this to everybody, and now he has to tell it to what is essentially a committee of people. And he has to give his real feelings. And it's, it's, it's a weird thing, because there are major stakes, because if he doesn't convince them, 
he has to go back to this place that he doesn't want to go. Um, so it's almost like he's using the facts from his life to convince someone of something. So in a way, he's kind of selling someone. He's kind of giving a speech while also saying something incredibly personal. And there's so there's all those layers to what that what that monologue is. And the way he plays it is just so heartbreaking, not because he's weeping the whole time, but because he's keeping himself from weeping. And you know that if it weren't this circumstance, he might be bawling. But he has to stop himself because, as I mentioned, he has something he needs to get across. That's a lot and of layers. That's a lot going on. <laughs> and they're all and they're all there without seeming incredibly incredibly obvious. He doesn't overplay it. It is in my that might be my favorite monologue in film because it's just so touching and it's it's probably a solid probably a solid six minutes and just uh, totally memorized. I, I'm pretty sure it's all one shot. There might be some cutaways, but but yeah, really just just wonderful. And it's a film. I talk about it a lot, but I cannot recommend it enough. The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. If you haven't seen Great. it, I, I think you would enjoy it a great deal. It's very good. Thank um, you. Now, The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp is a movie uh, that, for all, as serious it is, as it is, has a lot of comedy in it. Oh, yeah. I wanted to get into comedic monologues. Okay. Um, and I guess, I mean, the 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 idea, I guess, I mean, a, st- a stand-up act is a comedic monologue that yeah. goes on for, you know, 50 minutes yeah. or whatever. But um, I have to wonder... On a, on a on a movie set or certainly standing in front of your video camera before you put something up on YouTube, um, how hard is it to know, you know, three minutes into a four-minute comedic monologue if it's working? Yeah. You, you know, I mean... If, it, you, if, if you're buying it, if you're, li- if you're listening as you're going, if you... Mm-hmm. It's ki- okay, it's kind of like there's, a, there's this rocket, okay? And uh-huh. you, you can steer it, but you're riding it. You hop on it. Mm-hmm. And you've got to let the rocket drive it. And mm-hmm. so I think because you can always go off and you go on a thing and you're that's not the way I wanted to go on something. But you get you start with something as genuine as you can. You think about that opening. Mm-hmm. You really try to you know buy into that. And you you know other ways, especially with uh, comedy, it's technique. Mm-hmm. It is knowing that what's set up and knowing what needs to go quick and knowing what information they need to hear to set up the joke. Yeah. Um, I tend to gravitate towards stuff that's serial comic. So it is uh. what's well, it's not broad comedies per se. Mm. It is something that the character thinks they're in a serious situation and you're laughing because they're uh-huh. doing right. it so seriously. I, that's what I feel and I'm I and I, you know I I think I've not proven it but I I've, I've shown that that's a note that I really like to hit. It's what Will Wheaton likes to call his wheelhouse. So mm-hmm. it's in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. It's right where I like the pitch to be is someone quite manic, quite neurotic, very driven on something, definitely fear driven, uh-huh. very fast, you know, yeah. talk very fast, very funny, lots of quick turns, lefts and rights, mm-hmm. um, surprising themselves as they kind of go along. Yeah. You know, I love Steve Buscemi and I love um, Bill Macy and I love. Um, I love Ed, Ed Harris too. Can yeah. do a good neuroses too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, I'm thinking right now. You made me think of uh, uh, planes, trains, and automobiles, which uh, the mm-hmm. uh, all the awful things that have happened, and all the building of just one bad thing after another. And in a in a lesser film, the tension will be released in a big broad moment. Yeah, but the tension is released. In the St. Louis airport, actually, yeah. when he just goes off on Edie McClurg. But he doesn't even go off. It's not brought. He, like, 
He's very calm. Yeah. Except for the fact that he's saying fuck yeah. every other word. Yeah. Yep. For, he's not uh, yelling because he knows he's in a public place. <laughs> yeah. And it would be inappropriate to to yell <laughs> yell fuck in a public place. He ain't having it with her. She exactly. is too supercilious or something. I don't even know I'll what that means, but she's too much of it. I'll swear at one person, but hey, there's kids around. But it's it's like I said, it's it's a great moment because it's like I mean, you talked about playing a against where things are yeah you know where where the i don't know whatever the easy choice would be mm-hmm. again this is uh that that speech in planes and automobiles which is the the probably the jewel of the entire movie i'd say so comedically yeah. is is not what you expect because it's this is a movie that has you know uh, cars driving through uh hotel rooms and uh, yeah, yeah all kinds of sort of big set pieces yeah and yet the jewel of the movie is this very quiet speech that still has the word <laughs> yeah. fuck every other word. It's the only reason the movie's rated whatever. Is it rated R? I yeah. imagine it is. I remember my mom. And only she, because of that scene. My mom recommended it to me when I was f- far too young to watch a rated R film. Um, <laughs> but she said, just watch it and I'll watch it with you. And then I'm going to turn the sound down for one scene and then we can keep watching. Um, <laughs> and actually. That's like I watched. Uh, my friend had a, a sleepover. Uh, birthday party when we were young and his dad was like I'm going to watch Total Recall with you and I'm going to fast forward through one part which is of course the part with the alien with three breasts three breasts (laughs) (laughs) which is exciting I guess to us when we were you know 10 or 11 years old exciting three pushing it man (laughs) but uh, I mean now I look at that and it looks ridiculous but also he just fast forwarded through it like we just we got to see it for less time the part where she gets shot through her three breasts (laughs) (laughs) I think that might have snuck up on him he might have forgotten about that (laughs) whoops he didn't mind Quato growing out of a guy's chest right Um, everybody wants a little Quato (laughs) that's a t-shirt that was Uh, great in uh, in in get to the chopper in in regards to uh to the idea of a comedic monologue uh you actually you actually did one that uh, I noticed uh, you had a, a big beard for several monologues yeah. and one of my favorite comedic performances quite possibly ever because of the level of commitment to it is Jeff Bridges and the Big Lebowski yeah. and you do what a, a monologue I love because it is incredibly incoherent uh-huh. uh which is him ex- him explaining to the big Lebowski man and that one I tried to do it as word for word as I could yeah and what I really marveled at Jeff Bridges approach was Mm. I couldn't tell if it was a kind of a first and only take situation yeah Uh or if that's the rhythm as it was printed on the page yeah I tend to give faith to think that that's kind of how they wrote it Um, oh yeah um, and, and, and 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 maybe it 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 you know yeah. is 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 <laughs> is is not not as uh, serious as you. I mean I love those rhythms yeah. the way that he's trying to find what he's saying yeah. is so hysterical and that to me is is the brilliance is that and, and I think it's exactly what you're talking about he's not playing it funny the situation is funny the character trying this stoner character trying to manipulate someone or trying to talk someone into anything that in itself is inherently funny so he realizes now, at this it's point, all there. They still I don't need thought it. they'd taken the money, right? They still they, thought it was in the trunk of the car that was gone, and the kid, at Ronnie, had taken it. They yes, didn't know so. that the money was never there yet at this yeah, point. Yeah, he doesn't know yet. So, but, and does the big Lebowski know? He knew that he didn't give it to him. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he knew That's that. But, uh, 
But so maybe uh, she uh, just wants uh, more money. You know, yeah. <laughs> she she wants more. They're going to say they didn't find yeah. it. They didn't get it. Didn't I that mean, ever occur to you? And that's the thing is, ever occur he, to you, man? <laughs> he plays uh-huh. it as a guy who's just trying to lie his way out of things. And he doesn't need to play the comedy because it's just there. If he just plays this character completely straight, but the characters are ridiculous, then he'll get the laughs. He, he doesn't have to always, hit all the notes. The whole movie, he's except for when he's with his bowling buddies. Mm-hmm. The whole movie, he's he's trying to talk himself out of the scene. <laughs> yeah. The whole movie, he doesn't want to be there. He wants to be either home drinking his White Russians or yeah. uh, bowling with his buddies. Yeah, and I love uh, John Milius in that. I'm sorry. John Goodman. Right. Oh, there we go. Playing John Milius, <laughs> the man who wrote the Annapolis speech for there Quint in John. Right. Um, well, uh, now, we've been going for an hour. Yeah. I need to use the bathroom. Yeah. Well, we, I think I, we, my bladder outlasted I, I, yours. I think we're pretty near near okay. the end here. Um, uh, okay, so you've done 169 at this point. Yes, 169. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll Including do... some songs, some original stories I told of my childhood. Yeah. Uh, and songs? So did you sing the songs? I or did sang you speak a them? song. No, I sang okay. the Fifty Nifty United States. Okay, leaving out like two states, and so I did it again the next day, putting in the. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay, which ones you forget? Like Wisconsin and something. Texas, <laughs> Come on, maybe. I don't know. What are they going to do? They're not, they're not going to see this thing. <laughs> no, they saw <laughs> they, it. They they like, the Dude, you forgot Wisconsin. Oh. Um, okay, you've done one hundred sixty-nine. I imagine you'll go home and do your hundred seventieth tonight. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you have a favorite so far, or is that like uh, asking you to pick? Uh, I did a pretty good one on my birthday, which was Eric Bogosian. Eric Bogosian uh-huh. writes incredible one-man shows, really. Right. Mm-hmm. Talk radio, if, you know, except for a few people that come in and get in the way. It's Talk radio is another great speech, the end yeah. of talk radio. Um, so he's – I saw Sex, Lies, and, and uh, or Sex, Lies, and Rock and Roll. Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. Uh-huh. Uh, just the, the filmed concert version. Right. And he plays about seven or eight. Does characters. that have the monologue um, yes. about? I have a long, thick, well-shaped cock. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, no. That's have a you, good do you know what it's like to have sex with a woman and make her cry? <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite Eric Bogosian. I'm not good looking. Uh, I'm not rich. <laughs> my favorite of his monologues is the one is like the the. I think he's supposed to be like a rocker biker guy or something. Tell oh, about the comes at the McDonald's. Talking, no, he's talking about his friend who sold out and became rich, and tells the story about how his friend when. They were hanging out one night, you know, said, if I ever turn into one of those people, I want you to shoot me with a shotgun. And he ends the speech saying, well, I got to go get a shotgun. Now. <laughs> <laughs> he does a great character that's, that's cooking steaks while he's on speed. He's like, uh-huh. you, you lean your face over the thing and you're burning your face off. <laughs> and another character about this New York guy, Tony. And I love how he did his costume changes. Uh-huh. A beer bottle becomes one guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Rolls up the shirt sleeves. It's another guy. Sticks a cigarette pack in the shirt sleeves. It's another guy. Uh-huh. Tucks the shirt in or untucks, and he just would transform and become these monologues. And these are all ten, fifteen minute pieces. Right. Complete in that. And I guess that's the key to monologues is <laughs> is character mm-hmm. because you'll find um, you don't have to nail every little great line in a monologue. It's, yeah. it's a cumulative effect, and somewhere in there, if you're kind of in the truth of the character. It could be how they say hello or answer mm-hmm. a question. It doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be that, you know, what I like to call the buffalo. Um, there's always a line, something that's like the buffalo with a scene. Mm. And the and when you know a good actor like an Anthony Hopkins, it's like, hello, Clarice, or whatever. He <laughs> no. bagged the buffalo. He nailed it, shot it right between the eyes, and mm. it's dead on the ground. Yeah. Well, you can find this at uh, monologue, uh, a monologue a day. Monologue, monologue a day. day dot blog, dot, dot blogspot. 
dot com or just Google, you know, a monologue a day. And I think we'll also have a link to it on your guest page on battleshippretension.com. On, uh, on our website. Um, speaking of our website, you can find us at battleshippretension.com or in iTunes under Battleship Retention. You can uh, email us, david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretention.com. New thing you can do. This is not going to be a regular part of the speech. Uh, but y- you can, if you want to send us anything, fan mail, you know. Checks. <laughs> sure, checks. Donations. Grants. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, Charlie Chaplin box sets. Whatever. Uh, hey, what have you? You y- know, you, c- you can send I us want n- the mutuals, like volumes one through four. He's got the mutuals. Those are good shorts. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's an option. Uh, and this will be on the website too, but you can get us at, uh, you can send us stuff at P.O. Box 6153, North Hollywood, California, 91603. Again, that'll be on the website if you want to send us anything. Um, you can, what did I say? You can email us. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash thepretension, or you can follow Tyler on Twitter at twitter.com slash more lessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast at more than one lesson at more than one, you know, more than one lesson.com, mm-hmm. or on iTunes. And you can find my other podcast, the weekly television review po- podcast, previously on at previouslyonshow.com or in iTunes. Whew. I stumbled and over that one. I usually Keith Coogan's got this Twitter. It's uh, at Keith Coogan. Hey, that's, what I was getting, that's, that's my next question. Where can people find you other than... A uh, little, little Twitter action there. And I, you, I'll be tweeting all of the monologues. Twitter.com okay. tw- Twitter, <laughs> slash Keith Coogan. And, I've uh, lost my ability to speak, at the, which you know is what? quite I, ironic given that this is about monologues. Indeed. And here I leech... Le- leech. Ah, I leap into my long thing and... Uh, you know, I put the P.O. Box thing in your hand halfway through. I shouldn't have done that. I, th- I, f- I take responsibility. Okay. Um... <laughs> I, uh, I grant you responsibility. All right, indeed. Uh, now, uh, real quick, everybody, uh, there's just a few more. I'm sorry, this is for me. There's just a few more days to vote for uh, more than one lesson for the podcast awards. Right. Uh, it is nominated in the religion slash inspiration category. Uh, you can vote every day, and it's uh, one, ver- v- one vote per uh, email address. So if you have several, hint, I'm just hint. saying, throw that out there. Um, yeah, so please there you go. Do that for Tyler. I want to win this thing. It'll be great. I probably won't. Um, so. Keith, thank you so much Thanks for joining us on the show good. today. Very good. Times. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.